Well, uh, good morning once again and welcome. We are uh, jumping in, like I said earlier, into a new sermon series today, a series called Looking at the Cross. And if you'll actually pull out your bulletin and look at the front of it, there is artwork here that reflects that. What we're going to do, actually, is we're going to take a look at the cross of Christ. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, and we're going to look at it kind of from a different angle each week. We're going to think about, think about this like the, the power of what Jesus has done in the cross that comes through in this pure light and comes into a prism, and then after, as it leaves the prism, it bursts into all these different beautiful colors. But we're going to take a look kind of at each of those colors. Or think about if you went to see something like Michelangelo's David. You wouldn't want to just take a look at it from one angle, step back a little ways and look at it. You'd want to get up close and inspect it. You'd want to walk all the way around. You'd want to look at it from different angles. That's what we're going to do with the cross over the next five weeks. We're going to look at it from different angles. And the goal really is simple. The goal is that we want to come to understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross more fully more richly, more wonderfully, so that we might actually come to be more thankful, that we might come to be more dependent, and that we might come to love him more in return. It is incredible the love that he has poured out for us on the cross, and we want to take some time soaking in that, looking at it from every angle possible. Today we're going to talk about rescue. We're going to talk about the rescue that God has given us on the cross. You'll see that the icon there is one of a life preserver. Each of these icons means something else. I'll I'll let you figure it out on your own, or it'll be revealed the week of. Uh, But we're going to walk through that over the coming weeks. So with that in mind, will you open up to uh, Matthew chapter 26? Over these weeks... We're going to kind of base ourselves out out of Matthew 26 and 27. We're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible. We're not going to stay there all the time, but that's going to kind of be our home base. Matthew 26, and I'm going to read to you verses 17 through 19 and then skip down to 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 26. Now as they were eating that Passover meal, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would uh, enliven our hearts, that we might come to hear it. Lord, we are those who, um, who oftentimes don't know deeply enough our need for rescue. We are those who oftentimes don't know deeply enough the extent of your rescue of us. So will you come to help us understand that more deeply today? We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard another pastor tell a story of a man he met 
who was uh, a firefighter. And that firefighter was really kind of complaining about Christianity, about religion in general, and saying, you know, all of you people who talk about Jesus, it's really just, it's for weak people. Religion is for weak people who don't need it. And this pastor said, you know, that, that's interesting for a firefighter to be talking about that. Because how oftentimes have you driven by a fire hydrant and thought, stupid fire hydrant, that's for weak people. We don't need that kind of thing. How oftentimes have you driven by a firehouse and thought, you know, if this town weren't filled with so many weak people, we wouldn't need firefighters around here. Or how often have you paid your taxes that cover the, pay, the, the salaries of the firefighters and thought, you know, I would save so much money, you know, if there weren't so many weak people in this town who needed firefighters. I mean, no one ever, when their house is on fire and the fire department comes, says, man, Guys, what are you doing? I, I got this. I got it under control. I don't need you guys. I'm cool. Of course not. But a lot of us, when we hear that word rescue, when we hear the word rescue, we kind of get a little bit nervous. We get a little anxious because we think, huh, isn't that kind of for weak people? Isn't that kind of for the people that don't really have their stuff together? I mean, most of us in our lives, we make plans and then we fulfill those plans. For the most part, we have things that we want to do, and we usually accomplish them. I mean, we are Americans. More than that, we are Texans. We are independent people. That's like the substance of our culture. It's in the fabric of our lives. And so oftentimes for us to hear that word rescue, it makes us a little nervous. There's a flip side also to that. I don't know if, uh, if you've been watching any television over the last month. You have seen the new Bud Light commercials, right? Uh, the one, dilly dilly, right? Those commercials. So the one that is my favorite is this group of this group of, of prisoners. They're in a dungeon and they're chained up, and one of them's kind of on the rack, and one of them's you know uh, like being stretched or being tortured. Some one of them's in stocks, and they're there talking to each other in the dungeon. And in comes into the dungeon one of their fellow prisoners, and he's got a 12-pack of beer with him. And he says, hey, I brought beer, and everybody's you know, kind of excited, and then one of the guys goes, wait, you're telling me that you escaped from the dungeon, and then you actually came back? And the guy said, yeah, with beer. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we have the same problem, Right. There's some of you, I think, that probably need to know your need for rescue a little more, but there's some of us that also need to know, like, hey, we've actually been rescued. We don't have to keep coming back to the dungeon. We don't have to keep coming back to the chains. Some of us feel like we don't know our need enough, but others of us feel like we don't know the access we have to rescue. We don't know and understand fully what Jesus has really done in rescuing us. But friends, the truth is this, and this is really the, the main thing that we want to say this morning, is that Jesus on his cross and subsequently in his resurrection has truly rescued us. He has rescued us from death. He has rescued us from bondage. He is a hero who has come to take us out of something we couldn't take ourselves out of, and he has rescued us. We get to bask in the beautiful love of a rescuing hero that we have in Christ. Now, in this passage in Matthew, Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and they are about to eat the Passover meal. Now, Passover was a yearly participation, a celebration, something that actually all of Israel would get 
together to do. They would come, no matter where they lived, actually to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate this festival together. They would celebrate it so that they could remember together, we hear in the Gospel accounts and all throughout the Bible. So what were they remembering? Well, they were remembering the rescue of God that he accomplished when they were slaves in Egypt, and God came and he... Uh, he, 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 he he, what's the word I'm looking for? He gave plagues, you know, to, to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt, and he rescued his people out of Egypt. He saved them from death. He saved them from bondage. He rescued them. And so God's people ever since then were told to get together yearly to remember this, to remember this rescue, to be able to say that activity of God in rescuing his people is the same thing that he's currently doing with me, is that that story of rescue is my story as well. That's what they were remembering. There's a, a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible written by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones. It's my favorite children's Bible. If you have children and you need a children's Bible, that's the one I would recommend. If you are an adult and you want something to read, it's also something I would recommend. It's really fabulous. And Sally Lloyd-Jones tells a beautiful story of the Exodus in this Bible. And there's actually an animated video version of it that I think is really helpful. We're going to watch that right now. To the rescue. Joseph and his brothers grew old and died. But their children's children stayed on in Egypt where they became a very large family. Later on, a new king began to rule. But this pharaoh didn't remember Joseph and he didn't like God's people. He made them into his slaves and beat them and made them work harder and harder. God's people cried out to God to rescue them. And God heard them. He remembered his promise to Abraham. He would look after his people. He would find a way to set them free. One day, Moses was looking after sheep when something caught his eye. A bush was behaving very oddly. It was flickering with flames, but its leaves weren't burning up. He took a closer look. Moses! boomed a big voice. Moses leapt back. But the bush was talking to him. I have heard my people's cries, God said. I have seen their tears. So I have come down to rescue them. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. Moses was afraid. But God said, I will be with you. So Moses went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Moses began. God says, God, said Pharaoh, never heard of him. Moses kept going. God says, let his people go free. Why should I, Pharaoh said, don't want to, won't. So he didn't. So God gave Pharaoh ten warnings called plagues. First, God turned the river Nile into blood. No one could drink the water. But still Pharaoh would not let them go. So God made frogs come hopping and leaping and jumping. In your bed frogs, in your hair frogs, in your soup frogs, all over everywhere frogs. Make them go away, 
Pharaoh screamed, Then your people can go! So God took the frogs away. But Pharaoh changed his mind. You can't go, he said. Then God sent zillions of gnats. But still Pharaoh said, No. So then God sent swarms of flies. Flies buzzing in your eyes, flies. And after that, sickness. And horrible boils. And huge hailstones. And a storm of locusts. Then darkness, when it should have been day, until it seemed that the whole world, creation, everything was coming undone, falling back into darkness and emptiness and nothingness. But each time Pharaoh said, Make it stop and then I'll let them go. And each time when God made it stop, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, Actually, no, you can't go. Well, finally, Moses warned Pharaoh, Obey God, or he will have to send the worst thing of all. And Pharaoh just laughed. So God said, The oldest boy in each family of Egypt must die, but my people will be safe. God told his people to take their best lamb, to kill it, and to put some of its blood on their front doors. When God passes over your house, Moses explained, God will see the blood and know that the lamb died instead of you. That night, it was just as God had said. Suddenly, piercing the darkness, echoing down the corridors of the palace, came a blood-curdling scream. Pharaoh's oldest son had died. At last, Pharaoh did what God said. Get out! Pharaoh shouted. Just go! And so, that very night, Moses and God's people fled out of Egypt and out of slavery. They were free at last. God's people would always remember this great rescue and call it Passover. But an even greater rescue was coming. Many years later, God was going to do it again. He was going to come down once more to rescue his people. But this time, God was going to set them free forever and ever. I think those last words that Sally Lloyd-Jones writes very clearly represent what Jesus says to his disciples when he is sitting with them in the upper room. When he says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. What he is telling them and what he is telling us is that someday God will again rescue his people. Someday he will send someone, a hero, to rescue them from something greater than Egypt. And that day is now. And that hero is me. Friends, when we look to the cross, that is what we should see. We should see the rescue that we have been given. And just as the same way that God rescued his people in Egypt from death and from bondage, the cross does the same thing for us. We are rescued from death. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our transgressions, that our sin actually makes us dead before the Lord, and that not only has Jesus rescued us from death, but in many ways he has actually brought us back from death. He has taken that death for us. I don't know if you saw the news in the 
Parkland, Florida shootings of the assistant football coach who literally shielded students with his body and saved them. He took the bullets and died because of that so that they wouldn't have to. That is a beautiful display of rescue, of heroism, of love. Or if some of you have seen the movie Taken, Liam Neeson sets out. I'm going to kind of give it away, but it's okay. Liam Neeson plays this man whose daughter, his college-age daughter, is on vacation in Europe, and she gets kidnapped. And it just so happens that this character is a former CIA assassin. And so the rest of the movie, he just tracks her down and pretty much mows down anybody in his way, and he gets her back. You know what's going to happen from the beginning of the movie, even if you haven't seen it. And here's the thing. It's interesting. It's kind of a stock story. It's kind of stock characters. The acting's not all that great. But, man, the payoff at the end is so good. Because he comes and he finds his daughter. And she looks at him and she says, Daddy, you came for me. And it is impossible to be a father and not to tear up at that point. But that is also what we celebrate when we look at the cross. That our Father has come for us. That he has seen our need for rescue. And that he has come to take us out of the grip of death. He has also come to release us from bondage. And Jesus, in his cross, does something much more powerful, even that God does through Moses. These amazing plagues that God does on Egypt, and the ripping them out of Egypt's hands, and the hand of, the, of, of Pharaoh, the, really the greatest power in the world at the time. But what Jesus does on the cross is even more amazing, is because he releases, the Bible says, uh, that he releases us from the bondage of sin. We are bound, the Bible says. Our wills are actually bound by sin. There's something broken in us that keeps us from being able to follow God the way that we should. We are bound and chained in so many ways. And Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, has come to break apart those chains. In Luke 4, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, he's reading, and he says, I have come. I have come to actually loosen the chains of the oppressed to open the eyes of those who are blind, to release the prisoners from bondage. And that is what Jesus has done for us, to release us from bondage. Now, the easiest application of this uh, is the world of addictions. If you've ever read any addiction literature, recovery literature, if you've ever spoken to somebody who's a recovering addict, they will speak in those terms. They will speak in the terms of, I was actually enslaved. I was bound to this addiction. It had complete power and control over me, and I have now been released. That is what God has actually come to do. That is what Jesus does for us in his cross, is he releases us from the bondage of sin. We were made to be those who are free to flourish as the way that God has made us to be, and sin actually enslaves us. Jesus has come to do something about that, to deal with it. Maybe that's addiction for you this morning. Maybe it's a series of repetitive sins, something that you feel like you've been struggling with for your whole life. Maybe it's simply the reoccurring desire to always want to look good in front of people. And it feels enslaving to you. You can't even get up in the morning without thinking, are people going to like me today? Maybe it's that continuous kind of hamster wheel of, am I going to feel valuable because I've achieved something in my life today or this year? Am I going to be valuable in the eyes of the people around me because of what I've done? 
Friends, the cross actually frees us from that and allows us to flourish as who God has made us to be, to find our freedom in Him. Let's just pause for a second and just realize the amazing love that Jesus has displayed on His cross for us. One who would come and cross the universe to die for us, to rescue us from death. One who would cross the universe for us in order to rescue us from the bondage of sin. That's amazing love. All right, let's just put some teeth onto this and then, and then we'll be finished. Some implications. What do we do with this? Well, if you are one of those people who gets nervous when I start talking about rescue, if you're one whose tendency is to say, ah, I usually kind of have everything together and I'm not sure I need to be rescued, then you need to let this passage push on you a little bit in that way. You need to let Jesus push on you to remind you that, hey, you are actually lost and you need to be found. People in the, uh, in the Forest Service or in the, uh, the National Park System, they'll tell you this, is that it's always easier to find a child who gets lost than it is an adult. And the reason is that children stay put when they're lost. And you know why they stay put? It's because they know they're lost. And they stay there and they think, somebody's got to come find me. Adults just try to find their own way out. And they start searching and they start wandering and they think they can do it on their own. And most of the time, that actually gets them more lost. We need to, a lot of us need to be more like children. We need to know more deeply that we need to be rescued. We need to start letting God into some of the darker places of our hearts to open those things up for him, that he might actually come in and see those things that we feel really ashamed about, those things that we're really afraid of, those things that we really don't want to open up to anybody, the places where it really there is a sign that says, you are needy. And those are usually the places that we'd like to protect the most. We've got to open those places up to the Lord. And let me tell you, we probably need to open them up to each other as well. Invite somebody in to start walking that path with you. Number two, second group of people. The folks who who actually need to be reminded that there is rescue. And that Jesus has actually freed us and that we can live in that freedom. We need to remember that God has actually done something for us and that it's final, it's complete. I have a friend who works for an organization called the International Justice Mission. They go around the world and they release mostly young girls from bondage and slavery, from forced prostitution, from forced work, from slavery. It happens all over the world still. And what this friend of mine would say, what my friend Jeff Barr, who deals with the same thing, also would say is that the most disappointing, the most heartbreaking thing is that so many of those girls, once they are released, they go right back into slavery because it's what they know. There's language in recovery circles that says a known dysfunction is easier than an unknown function. Oftentimes that's the way that we deal with our sin. We simply go back into bondage because it's the thing that we just know. We need to be reminded that Jesus has broken those chains that he has done something for us that has released us from bondage. We are not held captive to sin anymore. Now, is it easy? No. You will need help. But we need to remind ourselves that that's what Jesus has done. Third implication, and this is really for all of us. Because Jesus has rescued us, we can begin actually to take part in his rescue plans for the world. 
there's a there's a recent book that came out of someone who who began to analyze Martin Luther King's sermons, the sermons that he preached in church, and two things uh, were the most common in his sermons. They were the the theme of the Exodus and the Passover, and they were the theme of the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. The exact two things that we're talking about. And they were so important to him. You could see them coming up in his sermons and fueling him to lead the charge against oppression, against, uh, against racism. He, fueled by the rescue that he had been given in Jesus, wanted to now go and rescue others. We've been called into that same thing as well. To fight for justice. To seek the needs of the oppressed. To come alongside those who are struggling. Some of you need to ask somebody into the dark places in your heart, and others of you need to go accompany that person. To be called to, to walk into those places with them. That the rescue that God has given us enables us to enter into even that activity of rescue with others. We're going to, we're going to think about that here in just a second when I close of what God has done for us and how that can actually change the way we love him in return and love each other in return. But before we do that, let me simply just uh, reinforce what we've been saying already many, many times. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. The love of Christ is great. It is rich. He has come to rescue you. You need him deeply, and he has given you complete rescue. Bask in that love this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that, that something that is a symbol, a symbol of death, a symbol of mourning, a symbol uh, that would have been for the Roman world, for the first century world, a symbol of everything negative about their world, is a symbol now of life for us. That when we look to the cross, we get to see rescue. We get to see a hero who has come to take us out of the places that we couldn't get out of on our own. He has come to rescue us. That our daddy has come to find us. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for being a good God for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.